Welcome, everybody, to episode 79 of the Untitled Themed Entertainment Design Show podcast. This is one of our favorite all-time episodes, and it was with uh, American Scenic's Phil Bloom, and uh, just it just was an incredible show. Yeah, I mean, you know, really um, unbelievable discussion about dark rides and philosophy, and, and just what a pleasure to have him on. Really a top show. You're all in for a treat. Buckle up. Phil Bloom, everyone. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you doing, Patrick? Happy to be here. Good. Looks like some parts of my background are showcasing <laughs> through. Well, we both got the black memo. Welcome to the uh, what are we? Untitled themed entertainment design show. I'm That's Patrick what you call Ling. it. That is what we call. It. I had to think about that. And Andy Garfield. Andy, big week. Big week for us, big week for America. Here we have Phil Bloom waiting in the the green room. It's actually just his office at his, 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 uh, his office, but uh, really excited. But of course, the news. Do, 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 do. What do we got? Well, uh, just uh, released, I guess, uh, today. Uh, sadly, beloved Disney Imagineer and artist uh, and all around cool guy, uh, Riley Crump has passed away at age 93. So our our hearts go out to Chris and the whole family, and um, you know what an incredible life and career he had. I don't know uh, if you have any of his books or anything like that, but uh, just yeah. uh, an incredible incredible artist in person. Yeah, well, well, yeah, hearts hearts go out to them. Um, but yeah, what an what a what an amazing contribution to the industry. Mm-hmm. And um, well, the, the the Oscars. I mean, any theme, from a theme entertainment perspective, I mean, the Oscars are quite a spectacle. Andy, what um, what say you? I mean, I know you're you're into them. You had, did you have your Oscar watching party? I did. I didn't have it here at the studio. I was just uh, at a friend's house. I I just got to sit back and enjoy it this time instead of you know making drinks and refreshing food and all that kind of stuff that I usually do. It was actually kind of nice. Uh, but I thought it was a great show. I just, overall, I just thought it was just fantastic. Um, shout out to my buddy, John Zucker, who was the art director of the show. And uh, it was fun to text him knowing he was texting me back from the Oscars. That was a fun <laughs> thing. And uh, that the show was, was really great, really well written. And, you know, a lot of, they engineered a lot of really great moments, like having Harrison Ford present best picture, hoping that, everything everywhere all at once would win and they'd get that moment that they did get with uh with him and and Kiha Kwan and that was uh just fantastic and like I was surprisingly emotional with the the first awards of the best supporting actors you know it was just very just emotional to like kick off for that show it was great loved it no notes yeah I mean it was fun to see I I it was interesting because there's a lot of discussion about when to run play people off when to not play people and there were only a couple moments where they did it and it was like it looked like someone was done talking. Then another person, it's kind of like, you kind of need to have like, kind of got to be brief. You know what I mean? I, I don't yeah. mind it when it's like somebody saying like in a passionate story and it's engaging, but when it's like they're rattling off 20 names, I know it's really cool, but it's like, well, you know, you got, 
you know, you don't have much time for that. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, we got overall, we got twenty 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 is going to be on. <laughs> twenty coming on. We had the uh, South by Southwest, South by as it's called. They had Josh tomorrow out there doing the, the flipping robot and the lightsaber. Well, the lightsaber's been revealed, but they were playing some of those toys. Um, interesting to see that that you know Disney's out at South by Southwest. Um, Chris Grapp, friend of the show, friend of mine, was just saying how I should come out there and check it out because there's a lot of immersive experiential things that are being discussed and all that so south by southwest happened anything i mean i feel like there's always there's always some sort of news out there in the world that's being announced anything else big <laughs> um gosh you know i i didn't even i didn't even think to to look i was so wrapped up in in the raleigh news so. but uh, i don't yeah. think there's anything earth earth shattering this last uh, since the last what three weeks since we did a show yeah, pretty brief, pretty brief period. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. with that, why don't we go ahead and bring on the one and only Phil Bloom. We're about to be on. Hello. <laughs> there he is. Hello, guys. Hello, Hello everybody. Phil. Welcome, Welcome Thank to you your so team. Much for, you. Thank ahead. you for so much for coming on the show and taking the time. We're very excited to have you. No problem. Should be fun. Yeah, well, we're going to make it fun. Well, um, you know, just we're going to be very conversational during this. We have, you know, 10 questions for you, but we're, we won't hold it to you. And, of course, for anybody watching in the audience, if you have any questions, feel free to comment with those and we'll get going. Um, well, first off, we'd just love to, to hear your, yourselves introduce yourself um, a little bit about yourself so people can wrap their heads around you, those of you who may not know what you're all about. Uh, hi, everybody. I, you know, obviously, I'm Phil Bloom. I've had a, a pretty long career in uh, uh, themed entertainment, mostly theme parks, but anything guest experience, anything, certainly anything that's in a theme park, you know, rides and restaurants and shops and playgrounds and theaters and uh, everything else in between. And then other stuff that's guest experience related, uh, museums and stuff like that. I I got started. I was I studied architecture and when I was in school, and I also studied theater with the idea that I would uh, maybe be an architect and then do theater stuff as as uh, more of a vocation. And um, it sort of flipped itself around, and a lot of it was of uh, um, I was working as a young guy. I was working as an architect. I was I did I was helping friends of mine put on theater shows, nine nine seat houses, and stuff like that, and. Um, uh, one thing I got, I got into, um, uh, movie set design. I got a chance to do some movie set design and, uh, that was interesting cause that was like professional stuff, uh, working wise. And then somebody suggested, uh, I look at Imagineering and I'm going, what, what's that? And, uh, okay. So Imagineering, it's like a combination theater architecture. It's like, uh, the set designs, but they're permanent. So that's sort of how I, work my way into this field. Oh, that's great. Well, but, I love that. It's great to bring that, that experience from other industries. I'm oh, sorry, Andy, go ahead, please. No, no, I was just going to say, you know, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's always interesting to hear people's origin stories in this industry because this, you know, we, we, we talked to so many young people and they're like, how do we get in? How do we break in? It's just like, man, every, everybody has a different story and it's always interesting to hear. Yeah, and then, and uh, you know we bring in people now. We when we bring in young people, we we have a lot of people right out of college or right out of school or even not even having finished school, and we try to get a mix of architecture kids or theater kids or art school kids, and we have landscape architecture, all kinds of different design fields, all kind of we 
we try to get make sure we get a mix. We don't want all of one group. And um, I mean, typically, if I did a, a stereotypical thing, the uh, architects seem to draw better and have a better sense of space. But the theater kids have a much more show bones in their body. So you got to teach the theater kids how to draw at the level that we're drawing and and express themselves in this uh, collaborative environment. And you got to teach the architecture kids how to put some show bones into their bodies and, and really think about the show as opposed to just architectural forms and stuff. So it's it's always uh, everybody comes from someplace, but you've got skills that can be molded together and work in a collaborative environment. Yeah, like the uh, the CalArts stage manager pipeline to themed entertainment. <laughs> yeah, those guys are a lot of those people that come out of that. Yeah, really uh, have a lot of show stuff and a lot of um, ability, and they're great candidates to get started working for me, working for in this business. So that, that's a great place to start. Yeah. Well, Phil, let's, let's dive into this. Uh, speak. So before we do that, Andy, say, what does American Scenic do? And you're considered the ride guru. Can you give us a little bit of a topic about that? Just so that other, because you kind of skimmed through it a little bit, but how did you become the ride guru? And then Andy will jump into the, the normal programming. Well, I'll, I'll, I mean, uh, you know, when you first come into a place like Imagineering and, you know, think back in the day, this is 30 something years ago, 35 or more years ago. And um, there wasn't a lot of other companies. It was Imagineering. Universal wasn't even a big entity at the time. And, you know, I didn't know anything about this business and I'm just jumped into it and, you just get exposed to so many things and so many different people doing so many different jobs. And it's like all these things coming together. And, and at the time you just get opportunities to do stuff. Well, I can think of that. I can help with that. I can do that. I can help with that. And um, I've got a good sense of um, 3d space and moving through 3d space and, and a good uh, calculated sense of how to move vehicles through and people through environments. And sort of, I just, I just uh, look, there's other stuff I tried. I wasn't that good at or didn't work out right, but I, laying out rides and working that way. That's, um, that's sort of what I got started on as I, as I worked my way up, just getting trained in the business. Uh, my role and the role of my company, which is American Scenic Design, is we're not the creative director. We're the, we support creative directors. Anybody with a creative vision, our mission is to help you realize that vision. And mostly it's rides or theme park stuff. We have to have an expertise in laying out rides, any type of ride anywhere. We've, we can just do it really quickly and accurately and um, help you get through the early stages of it. With, so by the time you're committing, you've gone through a lot of stuff. But, but our role is supporting creative directors. Anybody with a creative vision, we're going to support you and, and help you get your vision realized. Well, related to that, then, I guess, for the first question that we have is like, you know, at the beginning of the design process, how do you how do you go about um, considering how the narrative will play out in the experience? Like, you know, with like how 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 do you help tell the story um, through like write and show engineering from? Well, the, I mean, uh, there's, uh, you know, I, I'd like to start with what. Okay, you get an idea for an attraction. You know, you might have an IP that you want to, hey, we got to make something on Avatar. We got to make something on Transformers, whatever it is. You got an IP, maybe. Um, there's other ways to start too. But what, what do you, what do you want the guests to feel on the ride? What do you want them to say or feel when they get off the ride? What, what kind of experience do you want them to have? And a lot of it will be like, okay, this, this, um, uh, 
this property, if you want to experience this property in a theme park setting, we want to make sure that we cover these bases. Um, and how, how's the best to cover that? What's the right machine to cover that? In some cases, we, we create a new machine or create a hybrid of different machines, put them together. And sometimes we, we were tasked with, you must use this ride vehicle and this is the property and this is the footprint you got to fit it into. And then we, we go from there. So there's lots of different ways. Maybe the narrative starts off, but mostly it's, it's, I really want to start with what do I want the guests to feel when they get off? Yeah, I think that's a really great yeah. starting point too. It's like, you know, I, I come in at the end of the process with music and sound and like, I come from the same exact perspective, you know, of like what, what, what emotions am I giving the uh, audience and guests permission to feel about the experience? So, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I mean, that. If, if you look at something like rise of the resistance, you know, we got trackless vehicles, but it really fits. If we want people to, Hey, we want to take people up and put them on a spaceship in that, in that IP, we want to put them on the Death Star or a Star Destroyer or something. Well, you know what? They got droids running around, so let's make a trackless thing. And that that sort of slick way that trackless car works through that thing. Uh, that sort of trackless car wouldn't work for a, a different property, perhaps. It didn't need that. that. That trackless vehicle has a certain feel to it that that sort of works. It feels like you're in a droid sliding around in a on a spaceship with you know the big glossy black floors and. Um, so you pick a vehicle based on how you want the people to feel. It's a big part of it. I think that that's uh, the rise of the resistance is one of the best uses narratively of the trackless ride vehicle, because usually people just, you know, a lot of projects are just like, well, I'll make it trackless. Why? Well, why not? Because they're cool. But you literally yeah. have nar narrative reasons for that. I love it. Well, I mean, you know, some people want to do trackless because it was new. You want to switch places with the cars and have fun doing that. You want to save money by not having track switches, which is actually yeah. a big deal. Um, but there's, but it doesn't mean that it it's the right because of all those little gimmicks. Doesn't mean it's the right thing for that property. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of you know integrating ride systems with the right property, you know, how how, how have you approached the integration of a ride system with a story you're looking to tell? Next question for you. Well, um, you know, that way like you said the ride, there's each, each attraction should have an essence. What are you trying to get out of it? And um, the ride system has got to be part of that. It, it's, it all goes together. It's a, it's, it all molds together. And obviously it comes together in rise resistance, something like, um, like forbidden journey, Harry Potter and forbidden journey. We were tasked with, no, you've got to use the KUKA system. You've got to use that robotic arm system. And a lot of that, uh, it's a very limited system in what it does, but it gives you a couple of things that's really neat. And, and it's a one-of-a-kind system. But that was, you know, so each each project is going to have a different criteria um, of how to how to pick a vehicle. Sometimes it's like, look, you know what? We've got to, we've got to do something in a year and a half, and we don't have time for a new system. Let's find whichever's off the shelf that we can actually order in time. And that, I mean, sometimes you get down to that and then you've got to, you've got to make an attraction around that system. And you, you know what, you can write a story without a ride system in mind, but once you apply a ride system, your story gets thrown out because you have to write the story as you're laying it out and you got to lay it out per the parameters of the techno parameters of whatever ride system you pick. How fast does it go? What's the size of the radius is? How close are the cars? 
how far apart can they be? Are they variable speed? Are they single speed? You know, all that kind of stuff dictates how you, what kind of story you're going to write. So I have, a, I have a question about Forbidden Journey, and if you can't answer, that's okay. When, when did the idea of having the rotated carousel type latching um, uh, or, or uh, screens get work? I really, I really didn't describe that very correctly. Okay, yeah, we have the, we have those little mini domes that you stuck yourself yeah, into. It's an interesting question because we there's other ways to get. We look that property, um, that property needs a connection with the characters and the characters that you've seen in the movies. It can't be, it can't be something else. We could do animatronics. You could do other things, but the characters got to be part of the thing. You can't just fly around in that world without seeing Ron and Hermione uh, and Harry. Um, you have to put them on there. So what's, how do you do it with this system? Well, this system we were given, it's a, Look, you're, you've got a four-seat vehicle that does crazy stuff, but they dispatch every seven seconds. So you have seconds, seconds between cars. And um, if you're going four feet a second, you're 28 feet on center between cars. So you're very, very close to each other. And you're very um, – you're close to each other, and you only got seven seconds, meaning that every place that you're looking, another car is going to look at that same thing seven seconds later. So we have to tell scenes in chunks of scenes, like for instance, the, the forbidden forest uh, that leads from that through the spider to the whomping willows, that's one sequence, but it's really like five cars in that same scene at one time. They're just seeing pieces of it and we're trying to hide the other cars from, from each other. And it leads from the, it leads from the dragon into the forest through all the different scenes. And then you get hit by the willow, then flip back in. So the, the point was, how do we, how do we get the characters in there and we had, we have, uh, there is other ways. I mean, I would do another Kuka ride one day when we got ribbons of screens that maybe that you could, that you, you could isolate uh, vehicles on, but we really wanted to tell chunks of story. And um, it's not my favorite thing because that ride ends up being sets, movie sets, movie sets, movie sets, movie. It's, it's, it's one or the other where something like Spider-Man is integrate, completely integrated sets and movies are all integrated together. Um, and, the Forbidden Journey has a different sequence. So it was an answer to how to get the characters in there and get character moments using that ride vehicle. So 15 years on, uh, with with all the new kinds of technology, and maybe there is no new technology, would you would you accomplish that in a different way today? Uh, that's, not, that's not one of the questions. Sorry, another side question. I don't know. I mean, I look at it this way. Uh, I think if we wanted to tell a Harry Potter story, we may not, the KUKA robot arc may, be, may not be the best ride system to do it. I, I think that the property needed something unique. It needed something one of a kind. You couldn't just throw another Spider-Man vehicle out there and, and do that. It needed something unique. And that's that's the brilliance of Mark Woodbury, just as, insisting that we use that system um, and fight through all. It, it, it's a real fight. There's a lot of restrictions to that system, uh, almost impossible to evacuate almost the top and possible to you know keep it going and all that sets so it's a it's a tough machine to work with um but i don't know i mean uh yeah i wouldn't take for granted if i do another kooka ride i'd have i'd have the mini domes I, i'm not a big fan of those things i don't like the either or version of that kind of thing as a as a token on the other hand um 
it was a solution that I think is, look, it's still a popular ride. It's still a, it's an amazing thing. You know, 15 years later, it's still on people's top 10 lists and it's a, it's, it, there's nothing else like it. It just get, you get in this thing, get flung around. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that, yeah, there's other ways to get media in there. Um, but probably not the kind of media that you needed to, for this, for this property where you really needed to have one-on-one -on -one time with the main, main characters. Yeah. Well, I'll just say before we move on that there's been a few times in my life where I just got off that ride and I, I said, I'm going to hold my head back the entire time. The first time I went on it. Um, and just, I was pretty disoriented about like, wait, we just got into a dome. Like I didn't, I didn't, didn't realize how it was all working out. And then the next two rides, I was kind of like looking around and it's, it's, it's such a spectacle. The seven second district dispatch interval is, is crazy, you know, just so just really masterful, impressive work operationally. Cause I come from an operations background originally just, over the top impressive how they, they you know, the, everyone pulled that off and your team and everyone's team did that. Just, it's incredible. Yeah. You know, if it, it, you know, I don't know, it'd be hard to get evac from that show, but if you, if you watch the show from the catwalk, it's pretty awesome because it's, it's like all yeah. these machines and they're all just kind of robot arms going around through all the scenes and stuff. It's a really interesting thing to watch, watch the machine of the, of the ride from off board. It, it'd be a very dangerous thing to watch it. <laughs> on board at the ground level or something because those things are they're just big killer machines yeah that's funny i always i always half jokingly say that uh um you know themed entertainment uh you put people in in giant machines that can kill you to make them feel emotions because <laughs> these things are like transformers the elevator it's like a meat grinder it's like if you you know if you <laughs> look at it wrong it could you know just just uh, chew you up and spit you out yeah just uh, I'll tell you one thing about the Kuka. You know, some rides like the like a Ratatouille thing. It's got it's got these sensors on it. If it senses you in the way, it'll slow down and stop before it hits you. It'll it sensors and if and if it actually hits you, it has a tape switch that'll shut the thing down and all that. But the uh, the robot arms, the Kuka robot arms, they're programmed to um, uh, if there's something in the way, they got to stay on schedule. They got to stay on their seven second interval. So if there's something in the way, like if you drop a hat on the ground and it's and it senses it's rolling over this hat, it'll the computer will send more power to that wheel to make sure that wheel doesn't get slowed down. So, <laughs> so if you're on the track, which you would never be, but if you were on the track and, and it, it wouldn't be like Ratatouille that would stop. It would actually just, Oh, there's something, uh, Patrick's in the way. Let's put more power to that wheel to grind over him. I don't want him to slow down this vehicle. Ratatouille. So totally different machines. That's amazing. Yeah. I've, I've worked on, worked on some some really interesting projects like in china where there's just you know no life safety issues or concerns at all where you know i've been you know standing like you know you know uh, mixing in a scene or whatever and suddenly oh there's a ride vehicle coming and it's not going to stop you have to like press yourself against the scenery to <laughs> just get yeah, out of the way it's a it's a, obviously a huge deal when i talk about iterations at the beginning of of a ride thing it's always like let's lay this ride out knowing it's got to be safe because i mean honestly the last thing the last absolute last thing you want is somebody to get hurt on any any sure. your, any ride that you do i mean nobody comes to a theme park to get hurt well i mean it dovetails sort of perfectly into the next question which is like what what are what are the design elements and concerns that that you that you use most often to pull a guest most effectively uh, into the story and the narrative well, I mean, um, there's something, uh, uh, there's a term called a point of engagement. And um, it's like you want to, 
I mean, there's a goal to say, how early in the experience can we engage the guests where they're now they're immersed, now they're in the story? Yeah. And sometimes it, it can't happen because you can, you can have a pre-show and they get immersed in the pre-show, but then it's like, okay, time out, how many of your party, get your seatbelts on, how many of your seats, get into row three, okay, now you're back in the show. So you have this sort of, you know, interrupted immersion. And so uh, you've got to be aware of that. If you want to start your story with a pre-show or a pulse or something, you want to make sure that uh, as to the best you can, that everything from then on is in the storyline. And if you look at something like Rise of Resistance, it's, it's the coolest thing because, because everything, you know, why you're even showing up when you show up, it's you're showing up to be part of the resistance and it follows all the way through the pre-show, through the uh, the introduction with Ray getting on a ship, getting getting kidnapped and detained, all that stuff leading up to getting on the vehicle. It's technically, it's arguably all within the story and you don't get interrupted anywhere. So I, I, I it's a big thing when people talk about pre-shows, we got to make sure, okay, if this, if this is your engagements earlier, we've got to roll the loading of the vehicle into the story. Yeah. Well, one thing I just want to say this, and this is totally random. Uh, with right after the Ray pre-show, when you went back outside, that just blew my mind. I was like, "Why has nobody ever done that before? It's never been done." And it was such a really interesting, cool thing to just kind of make you feel like you're not on an attraction. Uh, I'm not yeah, sure. You if know, you were it's, it's, it's one of those things where when we first do it, and this is you know, John Lorena, the creative director, has these ideas. We're going to do this stuff, and it's like, okay, let's make sure at the very beginning we let everybody know we let operations know we're going to do it we let we let the project know we're going to do it so that we can keep doing it and operations says okay if you got to do it you can do it but you got to be covered so you know what you feel like you're outside but technically you're covered so when it rains you're not going to get wet between you know the muster room and the and the and the uh and the ship that you're getting on so and then you know we we exit on the outside you know we we have a big hangar in between it there's all that stuff i don't know i mean I would say this, that Chris uh, Mays, the art director, and I would, uh, we would like, oh, my God, they're going to let us get this thing. And it's, you know, the thing is that, you know, they can cancel anything, anything at any time. And so, like, you're on pins and, oh, they're going to let us have it. It's like, finally, they, yeah, we built that hangar bay and we built that exterior yeah. unload. And it's like, we're walking around the site, man. It's like, God, I can't believe they let us have this. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing what they let us have. And uh you know, it's their it's their project. We don't. I mean, as Disney owns it, but we got to do it, and, and uh, we all, everybody on that team knows we pulled something off pretty interesting. Yeah, I I yeah. couldn't. I you know I I managed to remain very spoiler free, shockingly, uh, for Rise, and um, I mean I knew about the hangar bay obviously, but I didn't know about the the the, the shuttle turntable and all that stuff when the you know like <laughs> to the point where like I assumed it was going to be a flesh loading thing, so I moved towards the opposite door of the shuttle, and then when everybody yeah. when the other when the door you came in through opened up and I turned around, I was just like, holy shit, that was an incredible moment. And then and then they you get into the hangar and they rush you through this like fifteen million dollar room. And it's like oh, come yeah, on, go, you go, 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 go. Into one little corner for five for two seconds and then you're right. out. It's like we built a whole thing for that yeah. for that just uh, for that for one moment experience. So it's awesome what they gave us. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. What an incredible achievement that that I mean we could we could do a whole show with you about that. <laughs> And maybe we yeah. should. Yeah. Now some other time. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, well, you know, kind of going from the, the you know, let's call it best in class experience of Res Resistance, 
Um, I mean, what are other common pitfalls that can pull a guest out of the story? How might these be anticipated during the design process? So it's like, you kind of mentioned it right there a little previously about making sure that, you know, there's no, oh, we'll now go to row one and two and three, you know, that kind of stuff. What other pitfalls, knowing that we're all limited in time and budget and value, there's VE along the way, but what, what are some things that you can think of that maybe aren't, they don't, they're not necessarily a money thing. It's just somebody using their brain very early on in the process to avoid. Well, here, here's a, here's a thing. Um, you start with scenes that you want. Oh my God, I got to have this scene. I got to have this thing. You know, if you think whatever it is, it's Mario Kart or it's, or it's Spider-Man or it's Harry Potter. There's something, oh my God, I got to have that. That's so integral. It can't be a, it won't be a Mario Kart ride without that, for instance. And, uh, and maybe there's more than one of those things, maybe because each person on the team might have their favorite thing. And we've developed these scenes that are within the collection of scenes. And, um, uh, I would say that one of the things that really almost always helps if you get stuck and your ride's just not working, you can't just get, and you just can't figure it out. And, and you're trying to do, go this way and that way. And there's something really screwed up. Uh, one of the, one of the things is um, go and look at the ride and take out your favorite scene. Just take it out, throw it out. And almost always the ride just flows right together after that point. Uh, typically it's, it, I mean, I describe it this way. It's sometimes your favorite scene is so convoluted that you spend two or three, two scenes setting up the scene and then two scenes getting out of it. And then you've screwed up five scenes to make this one moment work when it you're fighting the whole thing and sometimes you pull that out the scenes don't fight each other and they kind of can flow together and it, it's it's a weird thing to say but you know look if you look at writers they always do that throughout your darlings throughout those those characters or those scenes that are that are your favorite things and um anyway that's uh, one of the things is not to get not to get focused on a scene but think of the always think of the thing as a whole thing and this is part of my methodology of laying out rides is always, yeah, we develop scenes and then we sew them together, but I sew them together every day at the very beginning. I never develop scene, 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 and then sew them together three months later. I'm sewing together the very first day because connecting the scenes is, is the most important thing, not the scene itself. So you can't look at scenes. You got to look at the whole thing all the time and be ready to throw out your favorite part really interesting advice I, I i've never heard anybody say that before uh, it makes a lot of sense it reminds me of the the, the old coco chanel axiom of, of um when you look yourself in the mirror take off the first thing that catches your eye hmm. wow interesting hmm. yeah this is this is more of a, it's 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 kind of superficial like that but it's almost it's it's a weird thing to say because it's uh it's just something that you find yourself when you're struggling through because these it takes months and months and months of development and radius changing and go from this scene to that scene and move that scene over here and put it here and change the order of the scenes and stuff. And um, the best rides I've worked on, you go there and you don't say, oh, that was Chris's scene and that was Judy's scene and that was Bill's scene. That It's like nobody, by the time we're done, nobody can remember where they came from because they're all just everybody together making those scenes work. And yeah, you've solved these problems here and there. But if, if you got people saying, well, that was my scene. I think right now is a big red flag to me that you got a problem ride. Hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you you mentioned, you know, back when we were talking about Rise a few minutes ago, like all the different elements, the the outdoor elements and, you know, um, you know, the the outdoor the outdoor unload and all that. Like how what do you think are the key aspects to successfully blending multiple experiences within one experience? You know, like, you know, a walk through, you know, uh, the ride vehicle and, you know, like, you know, what is it? There's the there's the attraction at Trans Studio uh that where you get out of the ride vehicle and do a walkthrough and then get back into it you know that's that you know how does that work well i would say this that trans that's that's awesome those guys legacy are excellent and um that's about people that are clever in terms of saying hey we're not going to bring the disney universal stuff to malaysia or indonesia we're gonna we're gonna say what how to work with that and you know what you can do that there you probably can't do that here on a Disney or Universal thing. Um, and it'd be a different way if you did it, it'd be a different uh, configuration. Obviously we have to, our capacity is much higher. So it's a lot more, there's a lot more um, issues when you have a higher capacity. Uh, but um, I would say if you look at something like a rise, if what we tried to do is, um, I mean, think about all the scenes, you know, okay, yeah, I wanna do, I wanna have some amazing, I want to go to the bridge. I've got to get to um, um, so what's the interesting things on board one of these ships when we got on the and, and what do I have to go through and what are the stuff that that you that you want to and all these things on the list. So all these scenes are on a list and then they're all in different orders. Maybe we in a, you know we end up on the bridge and then go to the escape pod from there. Let's have the bridge in two places. Let's have let's start at the bridge and end up in the bridge. Let's move. Uh, Oh, well, let's, let's, you know, they have ADATs. Let's make a room where we go into ADATs. Let's have that. Where, where is that in the sequence of scenes? And part, part of it is when, when you're building the show up, you have your whole library of scenes that you want and how to move through them and what you're going to do. And then you, you reorganize them. So they, I mean, and you look at just, I mean, there's for every scene in Rise of Resistance, there's probably 10 scenes that didn't make it. And mm. um, and it could have gone, it could have gone, we could have gone funnier. We could have gone through the, um, you know, through a garbage disposal thing, you know, the crushed garbage thing. We could have done droid um, surge, you know, the, the droid torture rooms and stuff, all those things. We, all those things we just cut out and we made a sequence. And if you think you said it before, it's like rise. It's, it's, it's an escalation, a constant escalation. I mean, everything is, is there's a series of reveals that is like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. you drive through that reveal, and then you bunch of scenery. Then you get another big reveal. And it's like holy crap! And then over and over again, that ride just escalates. So, I mean, seeing Ray pop up is awesome, right? But then the yeah. doors open. That's even more awesome. And then you get on that ship, and then those doors open in that hangar bay. That's even more awesome. And then you make your way to the detention room, and then that's awesome. And then you then you make your way to the AT-AT room, and that's cool. Then you go up these, I mean, everything is one cool thing after another, an, an escalation. And so that's on purpose. And all those scenes got reorganized so that we could sequence the the escalation of, it just it just gets better and better as you go through it. And then, oh, yeah. then you have to sequence big space, small space, tall space, yeah, wide space, absolutely. big space, small. You, you can't just go big space, big space, small space, small space. You, you have to kind of have a rhythm, a spatial rhythm as you're working through it. Yeah, talk about saying, question. "Oh my God!" Uh, um, uh, when in Rise, when you pull up to the uh, the the gun, the big gun room, 
you know, yeah. with the big projection on the right and, and the guns, you know, uh, my first ride on it, I was so lucky to have him have him working correctly. Um, I literally exclaimed, oh, my God, when we pulled into it, because you pull up and you think like, oh, we're going to back out of this. And then you just go straight through and the guns, you know, get out of the way. And there's that tension of like, oh, is it going to come back? But, you know, it's not. But like these big, huge moving set pieces with the projection and, and like. I, and then just like you just go for it, you know, it was just so incredible. It was one of my favorite parts of that that whole attraction. And, uh, Such okay, a wow okay. moment. Question yeah, for I you. Mean, uh, I, I, you know, one of the keys is, uh, and this this just goes in general, when you think about a ride vehicle, if you want to have big moving pieces, they've got to be in scale to the ride vehicle, meaning whatever vehicle you're in, the thing that's that's impactful has got to have a scale to it that's bigger than the ride vehicle because you always perceive i mean you're perceiving it as a person an individual but but you're sensing the vehicle around you and so the gun's got to be way bigger than the vehicle it's got to be it's got to be that big and it's kind of why it's hard to pull off things on the tram tour at universal because the tram is so big and you got a sense of how big it is that you look at miniatures it's not really impressive uh, which is why that plane is so cool, you know, because that plane is the thing that's bigger than the tram. It's the one thing that's bigger than the tram. And it, it um, so anyway, that's part of it too. make sure you're uh, think about the context. Your vehicle has a, has a presence and you want the things around it to be bigger than that vehicle or more presence in that vehicle. What, what, one more rise thought <laughs> just because we're on the topic. All right. It's just the, you know, many people have gone into to great lengths to kind of hide an elevator and an attraction, but this ride embraced it and made it part of the experience um, and quite a compelling one. Um, you know, any 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 thought on that and how the random pull that off? Multiple rides with some switching. Oh, it's a, it's and insane. I mean, if you think about the timing, that's uh, so precise. I mean, if you sit there and you look at that thing, that that elevator comes down and you drive right on it and then it goes right up and then you get off and it comes back down. The other car is so precise in terms of, in terms of the timing of, to pull that off. And, you know, part of um, a two story attraction like that is the fact is if you actually went into a real elevator and you were in a box, it would be a boring, it'd be one of the most boring, you know, 15, 20 seconds of the ride in this little box. Now we do go into a fake elevator later we put you in a box, but we can craft that better because it's a fake elevator. We don't really have to wait for it to move and all that stuff. We can time that for everything else for the real show timing and not be depending on the elevator timing. So the fact that that's another thing we we got away with, they let us have these exposed elevators and um, that you can, that you can drive into that awesome scene, that big two story. I mean, that's the other thing too. It's like, we got these big ad ads. What if we, what if you saw them from the ground and from a, and from above, I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. actually part of it. I mean, you might start at the show saying, look, I'm going to drive in and see him on the ground floor. Then later on, I'm going to see him from up above. And then that gets morphed into, heck, why don't I just go up in that scene and then take care of it that way? Uh, it, so it's all about taking opportunities of what's in front of you. Yeah, so it's just, it's incredible. Uh, now, and that, we're moving on to a little bit more about, you, you talked about the team and how many collaborate, you know, how many collaborators go into this. And I think the best projects have a lot of collaboration. Uh, question is, what elements of collaboration do you aim for with a creative team to balance the many disciplines and visions involved? Well, I mean, um, you know, as I was, as I was getting, uh, into the part of 
really beginning to lay out rides and do rides and stuff. It, it's it's you just develop a methodology of collaboration, and it's it's part of um, there's a process. Um, it's probably kind of hard to describe, but there's a process of making of making sure everybody's got input, maybe sure everybody's got assignments, and then it's, I mean, if it, if it works right, we might have a meeting with three people, four people at the beginning of the day, and then we work all afternoon on separate things, and then we bring them back together in the morning again and meet in for a couple hours in the morning, then go in the afternoon. So every day we're collaborating and, and getting stuff done, and everybody's got, got homework, and they go away and do it. And it might be something like, you know what? You wrote this script, but you really only have, you don't have 12 seconds. You got eight seconds to say it. So write a line that you can say in five or six seconds. So we have that thing. And then, and then it's like, okay, I'm going to turn the car around here and go this way. And then, and then you get challenged by the creative director say, look, I want to come in from the other side and do some other stuff. So it's just a matter of, of, um, you know, trying to make it work. And then, I mean, part of it, if, I, if my responsibility is to make it work and the creative director's responsibility to make it cool, well, I can I can take the burden of making it cool off my shoulders um, and he's going to take the responsibility of making it work off his shoulders so we can both do our functional stuff and then we overlap. And um, I would say this too, on modern rides, our saying is um, the creative people got to be technical and the technical people got to be creative. You got to have a creative director that has some technical ability. They can't just say, hey, I want this thing to hang out there and float in space. And you can't have the technical people say, well, it's just on the blueprint. This is how this, how this machine works and this is how much room it takes. You got to have people that that can um, all work together. And that's everybody from the creative side to the engineering side. They, they got to overlap their um, they got to overlap their skill sets and their roles, but they have to but they can't they have to take a responsibility for their lane, but they can't stay in their lane. They have to kind of branch out and make sure that that if the creative director has something, you have a creative engineering solution for that or a creative ride solution for that. And that's, I don't know if that explains it, but that's part of how we do it. I think that's excellent advice. You know, the, the creative people need to be technical and the technical people need to be creative. I think that's one of the keys, the key elements to a successful themed entertainment project. Yeah, especially a modern one. I mean, mm -hmm. back in the day when, you know, you just sent boats through scenes, maybe they could be separate. You know, I don't, I don't, that, that show doesn't really work in today's world right now. Yeah. And then they can hate each other. No problem. <laughs> yeah. You car can open a door by running into it. I don't yeah. think we really do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Well, you know, what do you, the next question, you know, what do you, what do you look for in a guest re reception or response uh, to determine uh, attraction storytelling has been successful? Well, um, it, Honestly, you know, you hear a lot of people in our business say, oh, my God, I love to do this because I get to go and watch the kids have fun. And so, like, oh, my God, these kids love this ride. It's like, I honestly don't care about that that too much. <laughs> it's like um, it's it's like we design rides. And we don't ask them what they want. It's you know, it's like Tarantino says he makes movies for himself and you're allowed to watch if you want to. But he's making his own movies, you know. And right. If you focus on what the guests want it's you know steve jobs didn't ask you what if you want an iphone or not he just gave you one right 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 and um can we ask if you want rise of resistance or we just make you one i mean um i, I think uh um 
I do focus on what I want guests to feel when they get off the ride. What do you want somebody to feel? And almost all, it's almost always the same. So I want them to feel like, holy crap, that was unbelievable. I can't believe they took me there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's like this. It's There's an IP. You can experience IPs lots of ways. Like you can read a book. You can, like Harry Potter, you can read a book. You can watch a movie. You could play a video game. You could play, you know, computer games. You could you could play board games. But if you want to be there, go to a theme park. That's where you can really be there. And, and you've got to, and you've got to um, take advantage of what you can do. And, and you know what? Um, uh, you may not have to play a game because it, that's experience the IP from the game point of view. You can experience the IP from just being there. And that's, that's really focusing on what, what you can bring with this theme park attraction versus what you would get on a story. I mean, I, I can't tell the details of a story in a, that they get in the book and they don't transfer to the movies. They don't transfer to the theme park. I mean, I got four minutes to experience Harry Potter and we want you to get the whole sense of that experience in that four minutes and we want to bring it all to you and just dump it on you and make you live in that world for a little bit. Yeah, I think that's why theme theme parks will will endure is because there there truly is no substitute for actually being there. Uh, it's it's interesting because I mean people are still stuck. I mean designers are still stuck on screen 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 screen. But I mean let's let's face it, your day all day long is computers, iPads, phones, TV on the backseat of your mom's car. I mean everything. It's, it's screens everywhere. It's cleaning yeah. stuff. It's everything. And theme parks, if we can actually take you there and not not take you there and have you watch a movie there it might be a, i mean that's what i would shoot for actually i i put on the notes i have a bonus question and that was you started to dance around a little bit and i was just having a philosophical discussion in my head about screens versus not screens and you know to me it, you know you mentioned with harry potter you know you kind of had to get the characters there you had to get the live actors there you know to to pay off on that and you know, if we look at animatronic attractions, you know, like Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, there's they're pretty limited so far about what what how they can capture the essence of whether it's an IP where it's a swashbuckling adventure like Johnny Depp's Pirates of the Caribbean. And you want to be able to pay off on the epicness. So what is that balance when you're going through and you're having a say of like, this should be a screen, this should not. And by the way, Rise of the Resistance, I think, is the best execution of media of any attraction I've ever been on um so applaud for that the whole team for that but what do you what is the recommendation you have on that and integrating it well i mean you could you could look at i I didn't work on um pirates shanghai but you can look at that as a a, how they answered that question of saying we're not going to make pirates anaheim we're going to make pirates shanghai which is which is when you blend the media into the scenery I, i actually think that's the way rise did it where we you know we don't have any screens i mean i guess when you're flying back on the escape pod, you're immersed into a screen, but you're still within a, within a, a ship seeing that exterior yeah. thing where on the bridge, you're looking out, you know, you're looking out of space windows with, from within a set that actually works for that property um, for other properties that didn't work. I mean, look at, look at the blending of Sh- uh, pirate Shanghai. That was a brilliant use of big, huge sets, extended movie screens and big immersive stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that uh, to me, it's got to start with, I, I want to physically be there. And if I can stretch the set 
with a piece of media. I think that's pretty cool. And every now and then have an immersive piece where you're not even stretching a set, you're just flying someplace. But um, I, I think the best use of media is going to be extending sets or enhancing sets. Yeah. Okay. Andy, over to you in the studio. <laughs> um, well, you know, to try to wrap this up, you know, uh, what 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 attractions do you consider to be sort of like the major turning points in through in, in immersive storytelling over the over the years? Well, you know, um, I, I'll point to something like um, Star Trek Experience in Vegas. Did you guys ever get to see that thing? Oh yeah, it's one of my favorites. It's like, there's only like two or three attractions that I've been on where I fully suspended disbelief, and that was one of them. Yeah, it's it was one of the greatest effects in the history of our mm -hmm. industry, and yep. and um, people have tried to recreate that transformer effect, the transporter room effect. I mean, they try to do it in Poseidon's Fury, they try to do it in this Guardians coaster, and, the, and nobody's been able to do it the way those guys did on that thing. And I think you know one of the things about that is if you start out with a magic trick that is so amazing that you will, you as a guest, you'll go with, you'll go with wherever they want to go. I mean, yeah. you said Star Trek is, I mean, let's face it. Once you did the transporter, you go to the bridge, the bridge is just some stickers on a stupid wooden <laughs> bridge thing, but you yeah. didn't care because you were already in that transporter yeah. room got you in. Yeah. And I think that that's part of the thing is to give you a magic trick up front to really take you from here to there and I, I think that like on rise ray there's more spectacular things in the ray experience but the ray as a start off thing and then open the doors of that thing that's it's not the same as the vegas thing but it has that magic thing that says okay i'm with these guys i'm going with them and then the fact that we escalate it each time we don't just sit down and give you stickers on on plywood after that we give you we just keep <laughs> escalating it so i would say that that vegas thing was a big was a big changer um you know people say rise was a game changer but it, it really wasn't the game if the game was here rise is way way up here and it's going to stay way up here the game's still going to go on because rise just got so many things that fell into place so much money so much um just political support internally and and stuff like that. We got away with stuff that it'll be very difficult to get away with anymore. And so, you just got to like that for it's it's a standalone above the the game didn't change. The game's still going on much lower than Rise though. It's <laughs> so. funny uh, um, when I came off of Rise the first time. Obviously, I was just overwhelmed. But one of the thoughts that I had coming off of Rise was. There was so much, and it was that constant ex escalation you mentioned. Is like one of my first thoughts was, "Man, if that's what we got, what did they cut?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we could talk about what they cut, but it's awesome what we got. I mean, I could yeah. just there's, we got a we got a freaking movie studio hangar. I mean, a soundstage that we just yeah. walked through one edge of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to unload outside. You know, we got to. We get to walk from the pre-show outside to the show. It just, it just can't get over what they, what they, what we did get. And yeah. um, um, a lot of that was, um, honestly, you know what it was was uh, our creative director again, John Lorena, br brilliant, brilliant, just a maestro uh, in every way. But um, he tasked us with. Um, we're going to be on budget every single day. We're, and if we're ever over budget, we're just going to keep cutting till we make budget. And 
if we cut the budget be before somebody else has to, then we get to keep what we want. Right. And part of that was that building, it looks like a big building, but it is, it is tight. I mean, the 3D modeling that we had, the 3D, the BIM stuff that we did, I mean, every conduit, they're all just snake. Everything is just wound in the exit court. Everything is, that's a, that's a tight, tight building that was amazing internal architects on that team, amazing BIM management on that team, amazing, you know, creative was able to say, yes, I see what you're trying to do. I'll sacrifice that to get this corner to put this thing in there. And that, that was, so what we got was a, was a testimony to how hard we fought to keep the cost under control and not let anybody in any phase, if some, if the audio guy wants to go over budget, forget it. You can't, you got to stay in there. Yeah. Architects can't, don't add a square foot to this building, no matter what you do, we'll, we'll, we'll squeeze it in. If you need something, we'll squeeze it in. We'll take show out of it. And, um, uh, that's what, we, that's what we got. What we got. And I, and I have a quick question before we ask our last question. Did you know how cool the thing you were building or was it, were you too close to it along the way? No, or was we, it knew, we, we knew it was killer. It, yeah. it, it's, um, you know, I probably had, um, two or three or more once in a lifetime <laughs> attractions. And when they're coming together, it's magical. And, you know, the pieces come together and you, you know, a lot of things you're, you don't get to see them together. You're, you're doing a mock-up to make this door work and this thing work and this thing work and this thing work. And you never, sometimes you don't get to see them all working together until you're in this field. But if you can imagine how they work together and you can solve problems before they're all in the same room and they're all together, it, it we knew we had something, uh, all of us did. We all knew that um, it was unbelievable. And it was just unbelievable that we got to actually do it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was, yeah, that other, was my, sorry, go ahead, Andy. The other sense that I got was uh, getting off of that thing was, was like, I, it was immediately evident that like you couldn't have designed and built and integrated all that stuff, like literally a second in time before you actually did. Like you couldn't have done that ride like two years earlier. Like I feel like the, the, the technology wouldn't have gotten you there. Uh, that's probably true. I will say this though. It's, um, Rise was like, uh, it was a bunch of simple effects, a bunch and bunch. I mean, it's too many. And uh, if you look at something like Flight of Passage, that's one humongous machine, really complicated, crazy machine, complicated to get people organized to get to their levels, to get to their seats, and then complicated machine, big screens, big, it's a big, huge, one big thing. Uh, Rise is the opposite. Rise is 50 really simple things. But 50 simple things is way more complicated than one big thing. And that might be something that we, we learned along the way that, uh, yeah, it's a, just a show door. Hey, it's just a ride door. There's, there's a million, you know? Yeah, but there's many of them. So it's one of them screws up and your show's down. And so um, I wouldn't say that we did anything super advanced. We just put them all, we just put a lot of simple stuff together. Yeah. Well, and I'll just say this. I know this wasn't our intent to talk about rides, but hard not to, right? It's it's such an incredible <laughs> experience. What um what are some new and recent approaches to themed attractions that you have that you're excited about for the future of the industry? So we've kind of talked, you know, I guess rises a few years ago. You know, what do you think are the tools just to kind of talk more that young designers, creative directors should be looking at? Um, you know, it's yeah. it's weird because I'm an old guy and I'm not maybe not the demographic. And so when I say stuff like I want to do rides with less screens, 
Um, I mean, we talked about it before. I just think there's everything, phones, maps, computers, tablet, everything is screens. And I, I, I think that the reason people go to theme parks is to get away from screens for a while. And I want, I, I don't want you to go in the park and have you, this is one of the problems with this Disney thing. It's like, you look at your phone all day long, trying to figure out where you're supposed to be. And it's like, ideally you put your phone in your pocket. You don't even take it out all day, you know, maybe take pictures or something, but, um, uh, and, and look, I don't know if the trend is going there. Um, but I'm just trying to think of why you would still keep going to theme parks and why they're still relevant. And I think it's, I, I think it's got to go back to analog stuff and, yeah. and tactile things and physical stuff, um, which may sound weird and it may just be, and I, I'm totally aware that I'm not in the demographic of the current demographic of, of this stuff. And maybe there's a bridge between um, the analog physical tactile world and the, uh, and the media stuff. And one of the things I was so surprised and delighted with, uh, with the secret life of pets ride was just the sheer number of, of animatronics and live figures and, and scenic and everything like that was just really, really a uh, breath of fresh air. Yeah, totally. And then they did use a lot of projection, a lot of projection mapping to extend this. I mean, just to kind of, uh, build the, you know, enhance their effects and layer them. And, uh, but they got a lot of figures and especially what they did in the queue line by just putting those figures just right there. It's so yeah. cute. It's so, yeah. it's so, I mean, you know, you, you look at that and go, wow, you know, it, it, you know, this is the whole thing, Disney universal, they got different, different thinking. And I, I work for both of them. So I, I got to kind of uh, go back and forth on either side of the fence, but, but, you know, you know, the pilot in, uh, in the spaceship, and rides is all in a big cage. You know, he's right there, but he's in a big cage. Universal can put those dogs like they're just right there. They're so cute. They're just right there. And they're, you know, in the kitchen getting his butt scratch and the, the one she's lounging on the stuff. It's really that uh, there's a lot of magic in that stuff. Yeah. You know, and I, it's, again, I think that magic cue line really helped, you know, sell the rest of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will just say, this has been a great, amazing, this might been one of my favorite interviews. It's been great just talking real specific shop about design and dark rides, which are, you know, I think the, the quintessential theme park experience. Um, we'd love to have you back in the future. We'll, um, if you're willing, maybe we can, we can talk about it, you know, more refine in because there's just that. Well, every sure question fun. I'll see what the fallout is and then uh, we'll see if it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see, what, yeah, yeah, see what the fallout is. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, Phil, if you don't mind, um, just stay on for after we finish, and we'll just do a little debrief for about two minutes in the green room, if that's okay with you. Andy, any sure. other closing thoughts? Or, Phil, any other goodbyes you'd like to say to your fans, all your adoring fans? Um, no. <laughs> I got nothing else. Well, thank you so much, Phil. It was, uh, like, like Patrick said, it was uh, just incredible. We really appreciate your, your time and your insight to all of this. And, uh, you know, you're, you know, you may not realize it, but you, you are a hero of many in the industry. And, and I think that there's a lot of people that are going to really, uh, really enjoy this conversation. So thank you again so much. All right, guys. Thanks a bunch. Okay.